1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? are dark times, there is no denying. Tell me where he is. Our world has faced no greater threat than it does today. But you can't fight this war on your own, Mr. Porter. the ministry. You have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide. The longer we stay here, the stronger he gets. I must be the one to kill Harry Potter. Let's get off the streets, get somewhere safe. Let's say we get undercover before someone murders him. No way, they won't know which Harry Potter is the real one.
Hello and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spitaro and we are once again looking at the an entry in the Harry Potter series. So we are once again joined by Dave and Holly Weeder. Hey guys. Hi. Hi. Welcome back. It's like we, we never left, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> You've been in your basement eating your snacks all this time. I've been wondering where they've been going. I keep going to the store and buying more stuff. I, I thought I had mice. But it turns out I had house elves. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're rapidly coming to a close on the Harry Potter proper series. We are now entering the territory of the very last book, which they made a decision to split into two. So we have Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1 and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Two. Uh, so we're only looking at part one today. Uh, so I'll start off with what do you guys think of the decision to split it? I think it was a good idea because this was a really long book and there was a lot in it. Very dense. Yeah. Uh, so at the time they announced it, I thought it was the right decision in retrospect. Well, we'll have to get to that in a second part. Okay. I I agree with the, the logic that it's dense and there's a lot of information and it would be very, very difficult to give it appropriate coverage in one movie, much in the way that I was disappointed uh, in Goblet of Fire that we didn't get really the tournament at the beginning, uh, you know, the Quidditch tournament, mm -hmm. uh, because that was so intense in the book and we really didn't get that. Uh, so I think if we if they had done this as one movie, we probably would have been looking at a similar situation where there were things that kind of got glossed over and they didn't focus on it as much as we'd like. However, and, uh, you know, the, the the choice to do so, I think, did create a situation where now we had uh, what would it be like four and a half hours to fill five hours to fill some, somewhere along there. And I do think there are points in these movies where it moves a little bit slow. And I also think that there was not a natural, here's a great cliffhanger to end part one on. And you may differ on that. We have not discussed it yet. So I'm curious as to your <laughs> thoughts. They, they did have a natural cliffhanger, but then they went just a notch past it. Right. Because exactly. the original plan was to end after they get captured and they're in the, not the Lestrange house, I'm sorry, the Malfoy house, captured by Lestrange. Right. And then they kept going because they needed a climax. Right. Because they, they made the decision to not do that because they didn't want to start off the next movie with the death of Dobby. They wanted to leave, you know, they, they thought that that wouldn't start it out very well. <laughs> didn't end it very well. I mean, yeah. it's going to well, break your heart no matter what. Yeah, that's that's the problem is it's <clears throat> I, I don't disagree that it would be tough to start the movie on that. But I don't I also don't know that it's an ideal spot to end the book uh, or in the, I keep saying the book, the movie. Um, I thought, you know, I don't think J.K. Rowling wrote this with a thought that it's going to be split into two. So I don't think she you know, I think if she had known that she probably would have worked to have a little bit more of a natural bridge there. Uh, so to me, that's one of the biggest weaknesses is I just don't feel, I almost feel like you have to sit and watch both back to back for, to get a mm -hmm. full experience out of it. And, you know, we're not reviewing it that way. So, you know, I think it hurts it a little bit. Uh, right. 
I mean, I totally agree because this is definitely just the the I mean, the whole movie is just a setup for the next movie. It's not I'll say that overall. It's not really a one movie that you just want to sit down and watch by itself kind of a thing. You want to either have watched the other movies or you need to watch the next part of it. It's not just a standalone experience. It's not Empire Strikes Back where you can watch it on its own. It has a cliffhanger, but it's complete unto itself. So you naturally want to go to the next one, but you're satisfied with the experience of the single movie. Well, there's also, I mean, using that as a comparison, I think, is is a, a very good way to look at it. Because I remember when Empire Strike Back, Strikes Back came out, and I remember the time period in between. And I remember all the speculation as to, oh, my God, is Darth Vader really his father? How did that come <laughs> about? How would that be? You know, like there was so much. I remember sitting and reading, and I don't know if it was Starlog or whatever magazine it was, but they put out like a special Star Wars issue. And at the time, I worked at a bank as a teller while I was in school. And I, I remember, I have just a vivid memory of that. I had picked up this magazine, and the way the bank was, was you'd have time periods where it was absolutely dead, where you're just sitting at your window waiting for customers to come in. And then you'd have the beginning of the month when people would get their Social Security checks and everything, and all of a sudden the bank was, like, totally mobbed. Uh, but this magazine had come out at a point when the bank was empty. And I remember sitting there at my window reading this book or this magazine, rather, with all this speculation. Uh, and it, it, I, I don't even remember what the theories that it presented were, but I remember that it was just so far off as to be silly. Uh, <laughs> but at the time, it seemed like, oh, yeah, that could be it. That would be cool. Uh, this is a totally different experience because this book was already out. We had already read it. We knew where it was going to go. Mm -hmm. So it almost, Just how are they going to present it? Yeah. You know, I mean, and we could even go to another thing that you and I have talked about, Dave, like the ending of Back to the Future Part 2. You didn't know how they were going to resolve it in Part 3. No, no. You got a built-in trailer, but you didn't know exactly how that was going to – how to get from point A to point B. So so this is a totally different animal because you do know how it's going to end, or at least I would say 85% of the audience knew how it was going to end. Uh, you know, because they had either read it or heard spoilers and, you know, whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. Uh, and it was just like, to me, it felt like delayed gratification. It, it almost felt like they should have filmed them both and released them a month apart. I don't remember yeah. how much time there was between the release, but if, I think was, was there a year. year? I, think I think it was, it was a year. year. And I think that was too long for a story that you already knew the ending. Uh, and just to keep talking about other things in comparison, uh, I thought the third part split into two of Hunger Games took this formula and did it even more poorly. Because mm -hmm. by the time we got to the second part of, uh, I don't even remember what the third, what was it, Catching Fry? No, Catching Fry is the second one. Uh, Mockingjay? Mockingjay. By the time we got to sec the second part of Mockingjay, I had virtually no interest in seeing it. And that's one where I had read the book and I knew how it was going to end. But it just, you know, it, it, in the time in between the two movies, it had lost my interest. This one still maintained my interest enough that I went to part two. But I, you know, I think if I had not read the book, I might have lost interest, honestly. Uh, and which is weird because reading the book is what made it me know what was going to happen. But it just kind of ended on a downer. And <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> I don't like, I didn't feel, you know, like, I don't think I would have felt that enthusiasm to go forward 
uh, it, it almost felt it, it, to, to be fair, it almost felt like, well, I'm, I'm with it this long. I'm going to see it all the way through. And it's not that I didn't that I didn't like what they put on the screen. I think I'm articulating this badly. Uh, I, I enjoyed watching the movies, but it left me a little flat because of the split. I can see that. Yeah, and like, does that make any sense? Like you said, it was a downer ending. It was when we saw it in the theater. It was a matinee, um, a relatively good crowd, not not jam packed. You get to the end, and instead of slowly bringing the lights up, the (laughs) lights are just up, and you look around, and all the adults are crying. (laughs) The kids are fine. We're all not looking at each other, wiping tears, like no, we're fine. So yeah, it was it was an emotional ending, and not necessarily in in a compelling way. Yes. Because it, it was a it was the death of a beloved character. But only if you I mean, but if you've only seen the movies, Dobby's death doesn't really hit you as strongly as it would have if you've read the books, because you don't have as much of an emotional connection to him. But um, still, yeah, I still remember to show that. Him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Dobby dies and we're. You know, and they flipped on the freaking lights and all of the kids are looking around like, what? Yeah, the cleaning <laughs> like, staff is there. Thanks just, a lot, guys. So I, I know they did it on purpose just to catch everybody unaware. Like, we're going to get these nerds. From a <laughs> Look at them cry. From a narrative point of view, and this would be, I guess, movie and book. Do you think how, how, do you think that Dobby's death was well served and, you know, I'm going to say needed to happen, but obviously, you know, nobody wants a character they love to die. Uh, but, you know, did it have the effect that it should have had the, you know, to create uh, not only the pathos, but also the imperative and, and you know, the, the feeling of, of uh, you know, how serious everything was. It raised the stakes because Dobby was not a an action oriented character. He was a side character who. He his his purpose was to kind of be cute and mirthful. So to have an innocent character like that get killed in an action scene, it's it's definitely like, oh, okay, everybody's in trouble now. But this whole this whole book and movie is a bloodbath. Yeah, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. So is 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 Dobby effectively Jar Jar Binks done right Oh, don't compare him to Jar Jar. Don't do that. Jar Jar Binks was an epic fail. But if you look to what George Lucas wanted him to be, what did he want him to be Dobby effectively? Oh, I could see that a little bit. I would think more along the lines of uh, Chewbacca, the sort of lovable person who is usually off to the side or borderline comic relief. But also very useful. Very useful. Yeah. So I think this would be as if I can't say the full name if because our dog knows that's the name of her cousin. So I can't say that name. But if the Wookiee had died in The Last Jedi or in Rise of Skywalker and not in the way that they wanted to make you think he died, then that would have been the sort of gut punch. Because that's that's why Chewie's beloved. He's useful, but he's not. Whoops. (laughs) The dog's ears just perked up. Yeah, <laughs> but he's 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 not um, he's not Han Solo. No, but the, the thing about and I can say the name Chewie is that uh, <laughs> that he uh, he always seemed self sufficient. He was always capable of taking care of himself, whereas Dobby always seemed, although he had abilities beyond 
what you thought of and he was kind of you know very useful he he was small and seemed more delicate so he always seemed like you know like he was a little bit at risk uh and and frankly he's not a character that i expected to die in the book or the movie yeah. and, well in the book by the time the movie yeah. came out i expected him to die uh which i he, have to he, say that scene was really well done yeah <laughs> Yeah. And and the other thing about it is you know having him killed by uh what's her name uh Bellatrix. Bellatrix. Bellatrix doesn't really have the impact of making you hate her more because you already hate her. There's, well, there's yeah, nothing her about torturing her Hermione. Yeah. Oh, yeah, torturing Hermione, killing Sirius. You know, the, there's nothing about her that that was <laughs> that was redeem, redeemable anyway. So it's you know I don't, you know, like I said, you know, I don't think that it served a purpose as far as that goes. But I think, you know, you're right that it does raise the stakes and let you know nobody's safe. And as you're reading the book, or if you haven't read the books and you've seen this movie going into the next one, you know, you, you know anybody can die. Mm-hmm. Because, so, I mean, the, the movie is a little weird because it kind of um, starts with a death and then ends with a death. Obviously, it starts with the death of Mad-Eye Moody <clears throat> and then, and Hedwig, yeah. which we were convinced they were not going to kill off Hedwig in the movie. I mean, they kill her off in the book, but we were convinced that they were like not going to kill her. And they people did. get more upset about deaths of animals. And they even teased us with Harry letting her go, which mm-hmm. made that scene all the more worse. <laughs> now the death of Mad-Eye Moody, I thought could have been played for more. I, th- I thought we could, you know, we could have actually, witnessed it he could have died a heroic death it was more like an afterthought oh yeah they got moody right what well, yeah but you don't see it in the book either i know um but at the same time i mean things that they don't show in the book which they showed in the movie hermione making her parents uh forget about her and you know erasing her existence sorry that was me um that i loved that they showed that instead of just mentioning it like they did in the book and actually the way they showed that it just <laughs> You know, that tugged at the heartstrings, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the whole opening sequence, it's its the slowest opening sequence we've had in Harry Potter. It's almost mournful in and of itself, and you know you're in for something very different. Yes. But that, that, that's how the book was. Like, we're going to break the format we've done for six books slash movies, and this is going to be an entirely different ride. It's adulthood. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, then, well, and that's, I mean, that is the way this series has gone, books and movies, that every year it's a little more mature. And I, I, not only in the story, but in the storytelling. I think more so with the books than in the movies, honestly, because I think once we get past Prisoner of Azkaban, I think the storytelling kind of is fairly consistent. It takes a turn for the darker, but I don't think it's, uh, I think that's more the story than the telling. Mm-hmm. Um but I think uh, I think the books are actually a little bit more sophisticated in the level that they're reaching. Uh, I, I think J.K. Rowling almost made a a conscious effort to make it that okay, if you're a young reader, which technically these are directed towards, uh, and you're in I don't know what grade you'd be in when you read the first book. Let's just say third grade. Uh, then I'm going to gear the first book to be at a reading level for a good reader in the third grade 
Mm-hmm. And then the second book I'm going to gear towards a good reader in the fourth grade. And I think every book, the, the writing gets a little bit more sophisticated and a little bit more at a slightly more adult level on each book. You know, that said, I don't think these, I think we've said it in the past, but I just want to emphasize, I don't think these stories are meant only for children of those ages. I think they are meant to be all age books. Uh, well, I, no, let me let me correct that a little bit. I think they're meant for all ages at the start. And I do think they start to exclude younger much younger readers and viewers as they get older. I don't think uh, a child who's just old enough to see the Sorcerer's Stone is old enough to see the Deathly Hallows at the same time. Right. I'll give you that. I don't think I think the child of that age would have a trouble sitting through that movie. And and w- it would be too dark and it would be, you know, I could just see a, a young child being in tears through the whole movie. Yeah. And it is dark and it is yeah. scary. I mean, like like we said, it starts out slow and mournful, and then you know, and then all of a sudden you jump into Malfoy Manor, and there's you know a woman who's been tortured hanging above a table, and then they kill her, and you know a snake comes and eats it, and Dave jumps at that scene yeah. every <laughs> single time. I don't do snakes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I can I can see that. You know, you're watching Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and everything's all magical and cute and happy, and you know there's some scary things, but not not like that. Sorcerer's Stone, I could see having like a family (laughs) movie night and somebody is, you know, somebody in the family is four or five years old and it's fine. I don't see doing that with Deathly Hallows. No. I think Deathly Hallows, you probably need to be more like 10 years old or, you know, in in that maturity level. You know, it's it's hard to to set a specific number on it because every kid is a little different in their maturity level. I'd say 13. Yeah. Well, you also have character conflicts that aren't that aren't of the norm, like between Ron and Harry and, and Hermione mm-hmm. and Ron's jealousy and the way that Harry and Hermione have to push on, which it, it's slow, but it does do a character study of these people are under duress. They're under, they're on the run and they don't know where they're going next and how that breaks down for an adult. That's interesting and compelling for a child it's like what, what's with what's with the shenanigans here what's with the drama like this is boring, yeah, this is boring. <laughs> well and, and you know there's also the fact that uh you know they're carrying the, the locket with the horcrux around and that that's having you know way literally weighing down on them uh mm-hmm. and and it's impacting their behavior uh you know not unlike the the ring in lord of the rings almost mm-hmm. uh and i think that may be something that a, a young child wouldn't understand or appreciate so i think you know there's there's more going on there than than a, than a small child would would be able to pick up and like you say i think for that reason they'd find it to be boring but i do think david yates is he he was very good in, in uh lord of the phoenix and half-blood prince here i think he's found his niche this is very much the the moment where I feel like he got comfortable right at the end, of course, because he allows scenes to breathe mm-hmm. when they should breathe. Like Harry looking at the, uh, the under the stairs in his old room. Oh yeah. yeah. I yeah, was yeah. amazed at how quiet those scenes are. You know, which and scene, that's not something you see in cinema that often, you know, which scene left an impression on me for it's, I thought for, to some extent for its subtlety. Uh, is the scene when when Harry dances with Hermione? Mm. I, I found that to be a little bit touching. You know, there was no romance between the two, uh, but it was just two 
you know, very close friends comforting each other and trying to have a, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm hesitant to even call it a light moment, but I'm going to call it that anyway. Uh, you know, just having a moment where they can relieve themselves of the burden. Yeah, a moment of levity. And it's, it's, and it's awkward on top of that because like you said, there's no romantic interest there and neither one of them are really in a position where they can get to levity and the actors sell it. The actors are phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Now the worst thing you could do there is have like one of them stumble and they start laughing. Which yeah, they don't I, do. No, which they is don't. Why it's so great. <laughs> that's that. But I, I think that would be like almost the temptation. That's that's that to me seems like the uh, the stereotypical thing that you do there mm -hmm. to break the tension effectively. And I think I think that would have spoiled the power of the scene. Frankly. Oh yeah. Uh, so I th I think it was played very well, and it's like you say. I think they they knew to let it breathe and just to to have this moment and just show. It's it's you know there's there's not a moment there where you feel like oh look see they're having fun, it's just a moment of. You know, I I just I'm, I'm I think I'm at a loss to describe it right, but it's almost like, you know, I'm here with a friend who I love, and we're comforting each other, and there's no romance to it, but we are here for each other and we're taking strength from each other, and, you know, we have we're having a moment of just, bonding. Yeah. Well, I can say that now watching this movie with the current situation, you know, with everybody being in like quarantine and all this stuff, really being in social isolation, I can get it even more than and appreciate it even more than I had previously in the past because, you know, I, I understood the isolation, but I didn't feel it. And now I'm like, I get it. Yeah, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you just need something to help try to bring you out of that funk even just a just a little bit and that's what they needed in that scene um but like you said you know i was so happy they didn't take it over you know oh, oh you're so cute you fell <laughs> that wouldn't have made any sense at all <laughs> no but again like i said i think it's almost the trope that they go to in movies all the time right so i think i think there would have been a temptation to do that and i'm glad that they resisted it I will say, I feel like this movie was a little, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, it, there's so many different levels of emotion that are happening throughout the entire thing. So, again, we start off quiet and slow, and then we jump right into Bill Nye's face, which is, frankly, a little bit startling. <laughs> um, <laughs> he, he's, he's so great, but he was really underused in this whole series because his character had a lot more, but... Um, he still he did, still did well with what he had and where they put him. And then we jump to Malfoy Manor and then there's the Death Eaters and Voldemort and all of them. And they're killing people on the table and the fantastic Alan Rickman and Jason Isaacs, you know, just playing off of Ray, Ray Fiennes. <laughs> and you yeah. feel their like terror. <laughs> and then the next thing we do is jump to the scene where Harry's leaving is that right? He's leaving. Yeah, he's leaving uh, the the Dursley's house. And so for some reason, when I read this, I kind of picture him in like an Indiana Jones outfit. <laughs> thankfully, <Fortune and> glory. <laughs> thankfully, they didn't do that. But but that's that's every time I think of that, that's that's what I picture. 
I think the reason why they did that is is trying to show, you know, that this is a whole big world. There's a lot of stuff going on at the same time, a lot of moving parts. And so I didn't feel like it was maybe as disjointed as like Goblet of Fire where, um, you know, there's all kinds of things happening all at once and you don't really know what's happening. And it doesn't make any sense. This, it's like, these are happening at the same time. There's a lot of stuff going on and, uh, like I said, moving parts. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I felt like that was done really well, actually. It was a pretty quick way to get the exposition out of the way and give you a scope. Yeah. It was just a little jarring because the speed's kind of... Touch, you know, start, start, stop, yeah. start, stop. Grind the gears a little bit. Speaking of exposition, I didn't, however, like, you know, whenever everybody from the Order shows up to get Harry from the Dursleys, right. I didn't like that they're like, oh, hey, I'm Bill Weasley. Nice to meet you. Hey, I'm suddenly with Fleur. We don't know how we met or anything, but hey, we're getting married. Oh, and here's Tonks and Lupin. Didn't know how they got together, but suddenly they're married and pregnant. But they didn't, you know, it's just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and, and I guess I guess maybe that speaks to the fact that they had to break this up into two movies because they had <laughs> so much information to pass that even having done that, there was part they had to do th- totally through exposition, uh, mm. sometimes successfully and sometimes not as much as you point out. Well, yeah, because, I mean, they hadn't included any of that in the other movies. If yeah. they had done that, they wouldn't have had to cram it in. So I, I get it. Um, and then in the same scene, they go into them all changing into Harry using Polyjuice Potion. And I happen to love the way that looks. It looks, I mean, it, it's exactly how I pictured it in my head. So that, I feel like, was really successful. Yeah, I thought that played well as far as the effect of having all the multiple Harrys there with with the different <laughs> voices. Uh I, I still question to this day the decision of, you know, Harry, you, you're going to go with Hagrid because he's, you know, the one who found you, blah, 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 blah. Only because that seems so obvious. That's, you know, if, if you had to guess, if they were all in front of you, which one am I going to go after? Because I can only go after one. I'm going to go after the one with Hagrid. Yeah, I'll give you that. Because, I mean, who would ever think? Well, I, I don't know. It's hard. Maybe that's why they did it is because it does seem so obvious. If you want to hide something, you hide it in plain sight. Oh, that's a grill on Poe. That is that is a good point. So maybe, maybe you're right there. I'll 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 concede that one to you. And that's also I mean, <laughs> I that's, that's J.K. Rowling's decision because that was in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I think she did that to mess with us because the biggest rumor was that Hagrid would die. And mm-hmm. she teases with that several times in the book and. In the movie, too. Several times in that scene, he gets hit with multiple curses and (laughs) slumps over in his seat. You know, and you're like, is he dead? Yeah. (laughs) Nope. He's just passed out. What'd you think of the wedding scene? (laughs) Kind of like (laughs) Harry says, it's out of place. Because you didn't have the buildup to Bill and Floor the way you did in the books. They they didn't have that in the previous movies at all. Not at all. Not even a mention. I, I do like the scene i mean once you get past like oh hey where where this come out of nowhere from i really like how it looks it's it's beautifully done it's beautifully shot i love fleur's dress like if we could go back and get married again i want that dress (laughs) (laughs) it's just behind the scenes we'll work on dave to get that done (laughs) no joke i mean it's just beautiful i i can appreciate some of their choices that they made, like not having Harry use Polyjuice Potion at the wedding, just because 
they don't want to explain it and they just don't want to do it. Like, you know, we're just going to throw him into scenes <laughs> where Harry's there, but he was there under a disguise. We're not going to do that. We're just going to stick with Daniel Radcliffe. What also helps with the exposition when they talk to the, the biographer right. of Dumbledore, which you were commenting on at one point about how we're, you get that information and you're just as confused as Harry is. Yeah, I said that earlier. T- okay, so we were watching um, the movie earlier this morning and I was like, I can't, I do, I can appreciate how they just like throw all this information about Dumbledore. Like he used to live in Godders hollow. His dad killed those muggles. He has a brother. Just throw that at Harry. And as the audience, you're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. But at the same time, that's exactly what Harry's feeling. Like, wait, where did all this come from? I didn't know any of this information. (laughs) So it's not outside exposition that no, that, you know, people knew who had read the books. It was supposed to be jarring and it was supposed to be like, I didn't know any of this stuff. Did I know Dumbledore at all? And that's what she says. Did you know Dumbledore at all? Apparently not. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I like that to an extent. Uh, and this is more the writing of the story than it is the mm. movie. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm too Pollyanna sometimes in how I look at things, but I don't I don't always like seeing the dark underside of characters that I've grown to love, and I feel like. To some extent, they expose that on Dumbledore. So I, I, it's not a matter of uh, narrative because I think it does fit the narrative and it's a, a, you know, creates a more layered character. But on the other hand, I just don't like seeing the dark side of somebody who I want to believe is 100% totally benevolent. And I think for the most part, they do salvage that. They do uh, well in two. They don't quite get there in one, but. <laughs> And, and and that's the reason, honestly, that I have interest in watching Fantastic Beasts to see where they go with all of that. But I, you know, and just advance critic on it. Uh, I saw the first one. I thought it was kind of boring. I'm going to have to rewatch it when we cover it. And I started to watch the second one, but got called away for some reason and have not, still not had the incentive to sit down and watch it again. So I don't think we're going to be as... Uh, Bullient on those as we are with these. I can pretty much guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll give an honest critique when the time comes. Um, so back to the the back wedding the scene. That you actually like. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked introducing Xenophilius Lovegood, which is Risa Fines. He was perfect casting for that character. Because he's the lizard, and nobody expects the lizard. <laughs> Nobody expects the lizard. <laughs> so background, I usually put a, a lizard from Spider-Man in. I'll hide it in different places with a note that says nobody expects the lizard. And sure yeah. enough, there he was in Harry Potter. He did not expect that. <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he he did fit the part. He 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 felt like Luna's father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and that's that's a key thing, you know, especially when you have a character that's so uh, offbeat uh, to to find somebody who fits the narrative and and kind of casts well and it's one of the things that this series has done just repeatedly is cast very very well uh, with the exception of leaving out my favorite actor in every particular role that he could have played brian blessed (laughs) the whole cast brian blessed oh i would watch that i would watch one one man show yeah (laughs) brian blessed is harry potter brian brian blessed is hermione (laughs) Well, in all seriousness, couldn't he have been the uh, 
what's his name? Uh, I can't even think of what his name is. The, the, Agrid? No, no, no. I'm, the new character in this one. The uh, oh, I can't even think of it. The 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 head the head magic guy. The minister. <laughs> the minister of Scrim- magic. Scrimmager. Oh, yeah. He couldn't have played Scrimgeour? Although the guy they have is great because he fits the physical description of like looking like a lion and all of that. Uh, yeah. But but he could have played well, that part. Every yeah. single movie had a part that Brian Blessed could have paid, played. I just want to go back and edit Brian Blessed just in the <laughs> backgrounds of these movies. Just walking by a hallway or something or being a floating ghost. Oh, no. <laughs> he could be the Bloody Baron. There you go. Actually, You know what? Be- he could have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. So then, so where do we go? And then, so we're at the wedding, and then we jump into camping. Well, camp. we jump into London. Well, we jump into yeah, we jump into uh, number twelve Grimmauld Place. Yeah, we we get to see uh, creature again. Yeah, I love creature. I love his character. <gasps> yeah. I do too. Which I have to say, I don't feel like they did him justice in the movie at all. Like. I know they left him out of the other movies, really. I mean, they, they sh- he showed up once in Order of the Phoenix. Yes. And that was it. <laughs> and the only reason he showed up there is because they were going to leave him out, and J.K. Rowling's like, no, he's going to be kind of important in the last book. I've, yeah. I've really tied your hands with that. Yeah, I, 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 my favorite thing about him, and it, it, they, did, it, they did it really, really well in the books, and two varying degrees in the movie but not quite as well just the way he would make comments under his breath <laughs> I, I i i i was absolutely charmed by that we all I, have that family member or co-worker that does that too yes and and i just found him to be and then then you know we eventually get to the point where and i think it's more so in in the book uh where he and he and dobby kind of team up together even though they're totally opposed as far as ideology goes mm-hmm. uh, and I, I really like that too yeah I, again i wish they had showed creatures growth a little bit because they just kind of keep him that sullen crotchety character they don't show that he actually ends up you know starting to take care of them and and that he loves them you know that he grows to love them and even stops calling <laughs> um hermione a mud blood and stops calling ron a blood traitor and you know he, he because they start he becomes so sweet <laughs> he becomes so sweet in his way in his way because they they start appreciating him and treating him well so he then in turn starts treating them well yeah no i agree i wish they had done that a little bit but i i get it i mean they needed to move along the story well i mean if you're going to decompress it into two movies you can Make time for the characters. That's, but. Yeah, that's a good point. They did separate it into two movies. They should have been able to put more of that kind of stuff in there, I yeah. feel like. Or, well, once we get to the second one, you'll find out well, they they ended up cutting out a relevant chunk of stuff. Just one. I mean, you know, it's it's. I've commented a few times lately how if you podcast enough, you know, you'll you'll become a hypocrite just because – it makes you do so because you get you, you render an opinion and then you come up with something that is totally opposite of that opinion and they're both valid but somehow you know it's just they they contradict each other so in one breath we're sitting here and i agree with everything you've said so don't think mm. i'm taking i'm criticizing at all uh 
but in one breath we're saying this is really good because he gave it time to breathe and he 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 spent you know he was slow on certain scenes and in the other breath we're saying but he needed to cram this in too so <laughs> you know it's it's like you can't win it's it's the the bottom line ultimately is we want we want to have our cake and eat it too yeah yeah well in all honesty most of my criticisms are are saved for the second one in that realm because I thought the first one got everything that really needed to be put in. Okay, and we're going to get to the second one before too long anyway, so... I know. It's so hard to talk about this one without talking about the second one, like I said, because this is just such a setup for the second movie. Mm-hmm. You know, everything they put in this, it's a setup for the second movie. <laughs> like... And I think that's that's where possibly the decision to split it hurts. Because you don't feel like you got a complete movie here, you feel like you got a lot of setup. You know, uh, Empire Strikes Back that you mentioned earlier felt complete unto itself. To go into much more recent, uh, Avengers: Infinity War felt like a complete movie, even though it mm-hmm. ended on a total downer cliffhanger. Right. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, this yes, one did it was not set feel up. like a complete movie. This one just felt like it ended. They just picked a, a spot. You know, well, we got to get. You know, we got to end it now. Yeah. Or even movies that were split for Link, like Kill Bill, both felt like their own movies. Volume 1 and Volume 2. They mm-hmm. had a beginning, middle, and end, and then another beginning, middle, and end, but it completed a full arc. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's ways of doing it right. There's ways of not doing it right. In, in some respects, I think this movie got it right. In other respects, it didn't. And I think the biggest problem to me was there wasn't a natural break point in this movie that that you would feel satisfied or there wasn't a natural break point in the narrative of the book that you felt you can go with uh, i don't know if maybe they should have spent a little time retooling it to try and create that somehow and i'm not sure exactly how sometimes when we talk about things like this we can sit and say well if i was writing it i would have done this 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 and this and that would have made it a better movie i don't have that suggestion here yeah i don't know i, I don't know where they should have ended the first part I agree. I mean, again, I get it because they were trying to show that sense of isolation that Harry, Ron and Hermione, they're really by themselves. They're on their own. They don't know what they're doing. I I get that's what they were trying to do. (laughs) And they do hit several of the bullet points in the book, you know, when they go to the Ministry of Magic, although I wish they had shown them preparing to go to the Ministry of Magic, not just, okay, random one day, we're just going to attack some people and go into the Ministry of Magic. (laughs) Like they spent months preparing that and trying to get set up for it, only to have it fall apart at the last minute. Right, exactly. But mm, when they get in business. there, it looks what I thought it looked like in my head. You know, freaking Dolores Umbridge, man! Oh. I just want to. Oh, every time that character comes on screen, I want to choke her. Well, we talked earlier about how well they did with casting, and she was oh. not. She was not the like. I didn't picture her as being physically what she's shown in the movie but she was cast probably better than what i pictured in my mind she popped up we were watching it this morning and she popped up on screen and the first thing she does is that little (laughs) and i was like in the kitchen just oh (laughs) i have such a visceral reaction to that character um i dislike her more than i do voldemort i i did like the changes they made to the ministry if you look at things like the columns, it's mm. held up by people. It's not immediate, but if you give it a second look, you're like, oh, okay. The the dark side hardly has taken over the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that, that 
the, the thing that I thought worked well in the movie and in the book uh, was Ron actually like falling into char- his character where he gets upset <laughs> that his wife is in trouble. My wife's down in the dungeon. What are we going to do? You're not married. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought that was, like I said, both the book and the movie, I thought hit that one on the money. Yeah. Definitely that sense of persecution and, you know, nobody is safe. I mean, these are real witches and wizards. Mm-hmm. And her question to her is, from who, which wizard, which or wizard did you steal the wand? Not, you know, there's no way to get around that. <laughs> yeah. You know, she's specific and she's just so happy. She's got her little Patronus cat there going along. She's wearing the locket, the Horcrux locket, and she's just in her element, just happy as a clam, torturing people. Hmm. Ugh. <laughs> uh, mo- moving the movie on somewhat, we, we go <laughs> to uh, was it Batilda Bagshot? Ooh, yeah. That scene is very creepy. You think? It's it was not it's happy cre- that scene. <laughs> it's creepy in the book. It's creepy in the movie. The difference is, if I didn't read the book, I don't know if it's laid out well enough that I really would have known exactly what was going on. Right, because in the book, it's very clear that she doesn't talk to Harry in front of Hermione because it's actually Nagini in Bethilda's body. So whenever she starts talking to Harry, she's speaking parcel tongue. When in the movie, it's like, why is she hissing at him? <laughs> it's not exactly clear to me that she's speaking parcel tongue. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still, you know, it's definitely effectively creepy enough. That's Ugh. for sure. That's the scene where the stuntman got hurt. Yeah. One of uh, Daniel Radcliffe's stuntmen, when he's getting pulled through a wall... It was just a freak accident, and he was paralyzed from the neck down, waist down. I think so. Severely injured. I mean, they've gone. He'd been his his uh, stunt double for all of the movies up until this point, and this was like a regular wire pull trick where they pull the wire and he does like a twist in the air and then goes through like a wall. They've done it thousands, hundreds, thousands of times, and for some reason, this one just ended wrong, and he ended up severely injuring himself. Random random fact. I had not heard that fact, and I'm sorry to hear it. Uh, Not because I'm sorry you said it, I'm just sorry it happened. Yeah. (laughs) It's still weird to me, though, in that scene, why they, like, go into a nursery. I never have understand that um, logic behind that for the movies. Like, it's all creepy enough. Like, you didn't need that nursery scene. You know, when they go through the wall, they land in a nursery. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know why that it it confuses me and it brings me out of the movie a little bit to think about why did they put a nursery there? Well, it's lit differently. It is lit differently. And decorated differently. It's out of place, noticeably. Like, did they go through the wall into somebody else's place? That's my read on. That's what I thought. Okay. (laughs) Like, I never, but there's so much happening and I'm in the scene and then that brings me out of the scene. Like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah, no, you know what? Honestly, I kind of, with that scene, I kind of went along for the ride and didn't put that together, which is not a good reflection on me, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It may just be me. It's just one of those things. It's it's all dark and gloomy and they're battling and then they go through a wall and it's brightly lit and it's a nursery. Like, it, it just jars me out of being immersed in the movie for some reason. 
I guess it doesn't I, affect I, other I, people that way. I think you're you're totally right. I think it's a, a shortcoming on my part that it didn't uh, that it didn't click to me that way. I think I should have been more aware of it, but you know. But awareness. then, and then awareness we, isn't always my strength. No, <laughs> but going leading up to that scene, I do like the quiet moments. Like you, you know, we're back to the quiet moments mm-hmm. in in the graveyard. I like how they say, you know, I still think we should have used Polyjuice Potion, which they did in the books, and they're like, no, I'm gonna come here. You know, I get it. <laughs> we're just not gonna do that anymore because it's just easier to be Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson in their characters in the scene. Instead mm-hmm. of trying to find somebody else to be them, <laughs> let's yeah. just be us. And the, and the and the audience wants to see them, right? So they're playing somewhat to their audience anyway. And then you know going to visit the the tombstone. Although there is something that I wish here they had added in, because when that scene starts, they're walking by the house and you can see Harry's old room, his nursery where it's been blasted away. And there's like a little sign that pops up that says, you know, here's the home of the Potters. And on the night of October 31st, 19, whenever 80, (laughs) I think 80. That's a deep cut. (laughs) Anyway, it just talks about how, you know, the dark Lord, you know, black, you know, tried to kill Harry Potter. And, and there's like notes written all over the sign. And Hermione's like, they shouldn't have, you know, they shouldn't have graffitied the sign. And he's like, no, I like it. (laughs) But I wish they had done that. I mean, they kind of do. They walk up to the, the building and they're looking at the building. And I guess you get a sense of that's where the Potters were. And then that's when Bethilda Bangshot kind of comes over to them. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just talking out of my butt. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's to come back to the point of origin. You're making good points, I think. Um, so, you know, they, they they eventually get away, and then they go back to the forest. They get Gryffindor's sword. Ooh, yeah, another scene. Good, good wow, scene. Wow, you just lit up. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's a pretty cool scene, too, and that kind of goes into, you know, what I was talking about earlier with the locket being uh, almost like the ring in Lord of the Rings, where it's basically the locket tries to kill Harry. Yeah, it's kind of the first time you really get that sense of, wow, this thing is going to protect itself from harm. Mm-hmm. I mean, before it had just kind of made everybody moody and it really sucked kind of the life out of them. But you, you didn't realize the locket could protect itself. Kind of like a, yeah. an, an animal that's cornered. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That it's, it's actually dangerous. And that scene is so brilliantly played, you know. He, he, he walks, there's the doe that comes over to him. And it's just so beautiful <laughs> to finally see a full corporeal Patronus actually walking around because you don't get that enough in these movies, I don't think. No, it is, it is a rare thing when you see the, the Patronuses at all in these yeah. movies. Uh, and usually it's a very, very fleeting thing. Uh, and then to me, the whole payoff on this is now we have Ron back and our. You know, our trio of heroes are together again. <laughs> you, almost, you almost should hear some sort of like triumphant music at that moment. I know. And he shows up and she's like, you, she's just so <laughs> mad at him because he's just standing there with the, the locket and the, the sword and he's back. Like, what, what, wait, <laughs> 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 do 
you can feel all of her frustration for him finally just kind of explode. Although naked Hermione and Harry coming out of the locket was a little bit jarring. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. But I get it. I mean, that's exactly what was going on in Ron's head, you know. So mm-hmm. Well, Ron would have seen that dancing scene that we were talking about earlier <laughs> and been much more he he wouldn't have read it the way we did. No. Right, he would have had a totally different viewpoint on that. But yeah, that whole locket scene, uh, exactly what I thought about in my mind. You know how we talked about in um Half-Blood Prince, the scene in the cave looks exactly how it was described. Eerily. This like perfectly. is exactly how it was described. That's how I picture it. So again, another bullet point that they perfectly for me hit from the books. Yeah. I I think so too. We go from there to uh visit Xenophilius Lovegood who who surprisingly has turned traitor on them. Now, not without motivation hmm. uh, that you know, Luna's been kidnapped and is being held captive. But uh, You know, we were talking about, sorry, we were talking about like a break, like a natural break. I wonder if Ron coming back and them having the sword, if that wouldn't have been like the natural break that I would have done if I was making two movies. Now, if you, if you had done that, and let's just kind of explore that for a moment. If you had done that, First of all, it would have eliminated one of the problems that Dave mentioned earlier of having to open the next movie with Dobby's death because you would probably be 20 minutes into the next movie before you'd get to Dobby's death. Yeah. Uh, so, so that would be a plus. Uh, you would be ending it on a, at least a triumph, triumphant moment where, you know, you're, you're looking at getting the challenge in front of you taken care of because now you have the gang back together. And you also would have had however much time between there and the end of the movie, about 20 minutes that you would have been able to focus on some of the other character moments that we were saying would have been nice to have. So that could have made this movie stronger, I believe. I don't question that. Uh, I don't know if it would have made part two stronger only because now you have about 20 minutes that you're adding to that. And you might have to whittle away some other things. Yeah. Because so from here, and we don't want to make cause... three movies. No, no, <laughs> definitely not. Don't take a novel and turn it into three movies, Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> but so from here, they you know they go to see Xenophilius Lovegood. But yeah, I felt like it it was almost like a start of another movie, or it could have been. <clears throat> But I really liked how he looked all disheveled, and he, I mean, Risa Fiennes just plays it so well. And he's slightly off-kilter, which he already was, but he's even more so off-kilter. <laughs> like, yeah, I liked the, I, I, I have to say, I really did like the story of the three brothers. What and how they, the animation present. style. Yeah, awesome. I thought that was really well done, and it was beautiful. As opposed to just her sitting there reading it. Yeah, no. I, and this I, is the first time that has they've used any kind of animation or anything. The animation that they used, I thought, seemed very. Yeah, I mean, it was very unique, very different. I've never seen anything mm-hmm. animated in that particular style before, uh, and I I liked that 
thought that it, it created something different because we're dealing with the wizard world and their cartoons would be different than ours. If you had a uh, Hanna-Barbera style, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't work. No, it also created a movie within a movie because it's very different from the movie that's surrounding it. It's, it's, it's very much its own thing. And that was kind of a neat experience in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, I enjoyed that too. I agree. And Paul, you've never been to the parks, right? In at Universal oh, yeah. Florida? Yes, yes. I was at the, the park at Universal Florida. I did not get to do – the only thing I haven't gotten to do is Hagrid's Ride because the wait for it this past summer when we were there was well over three hours. Oh, okay. Well, in Diagon Alley, did you? Fast pass, by the way. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> did you um, did you go see the puppet show that they did in Diagon Alley? I did not see that. Oh. I, I don't think they. I don't think it was running while we were, you know, physically there. Maybe it's not a constant thing. They, they it is a reenactment of the the three brothers, right? Except they use not marionettes. Um, puppets. Full full size puppets. And it's extremely cool. It's so cool. So the the animation, you know, from the movie, they turn those into puppets, and they look exactly like the animation, and it's incredible. And they're like on big giant sticks, and just anyway, I was wondering if you'd seen that because no, I haven't. Now you made me miss, you know, that I went and didn't see something that I should have. So next time we go to Florida, that'll be on my list. Can we go too? (laughs) I would love if we would time it around around the same time. So we'll talk. Yeah. So, uh, let's see, where do we go from here? I guess we, we're back to the Malfoy Mansion now, right? And all the torture and, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, now I have some thoughts on this. Oh. <laughs> I know, I know, I've taken over, I'm sorry. No, you're, you're, you're having thoughts on everything is, is a very positive take on this. I am, well, I'm enjoying hearing your, your uh, pontification here. <laughs> I, I... I think they did this scene really successfully. The torture of Hermione is perfectly done because that's how, I mean, they just hear her shrieking. And um, I like that Bellatrix just kind of, I mean, she's already nuts and crazy, but she totally switches her her style. Her, her style. Yeah, exactly. Like as soon as she sees the sword. Yeah. Um. I, I I like that they show up and they have Mr. Ollivander and Luna and the goblin Griphook down in the basement dungeon. I don't, however, like this whole thing with Wormtail. He's there. He's a bad guy. Dobby shows up, blasts him from behind, and either either that makes Dobby a murderer <laughs> or he's just knocked out but it doesn't make any sense the whole point uh, I, I don't i don't understand why they didn't m- m- kill off wormtail like they did in the book you know where his own silver hand betrays him and chokes him i guess yeah. they would have had to explain that it seemed fairly so i guess you know what i think you would have had to i don't know if, if the movie audience would have picked up on it uh if they hadn't read the book but, I mean, ultimately, it's that the hand is still loyal to, to Voldemort because Voldemort created it. Right. And, you know, when he betrays Voldemort in his own way, which is, it's a fairly minor betrayal, really. I expected him to have a more redemptive moment than that. 
I don't know. Or or maybe somebody else could have blasted him. I don't understand why they made Dobby kill him or knock him out. It's it's not clear. You know, <laughs> again, either they knock him out and you never see him again or Dobby killed him. It's one or the other. From, don't make him from, a murder. From a movie point of view, I thought he knocked him out. I didn't think he killed him. Yeah, I don't remember if the, the beam was green because that's the. No, it's just a, he just blasts him from behind. He's not using a wand or anything. He just uses magic to n- kill or knock him out, but you never see Wormtail ever again. So yeah, no, because because his really his his impact on the story is over. Although you could have right. had him at you know at the, at the final you know confrontation where everybody's involved at at Hogwarts in the next movie, he could have been there, which would have answered the question of you know if he was killed or not. But then they would have had to pay uh, the actor to be there again. So <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm sure even if you had filmed the scene now. The fact that he was in a separate movie would have required them to pay him a certain amount of money that they probably didn't want to for what it would mean narratively to the movie. Right. Even though they filmed these simultaneously, I mean, they were filming the movies at the same time. Yeah, I I bet you're right. But but you see what I mean, though? So there's that question mark with Wormtail. Is he dead? Like, did they make Dobby a murderer and he killed him from behind? Or did he just get knocked out and he got away? Well, plus that that character and actor make an appearance for no reason. It's like a not even a glorified cameo. It's barely a cameo. Yeah. It's like, yeah. hi guys, I'm here. Now I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, hi guys, I, think, I, I exist. Think my favorite. I think my my favorite thing in the uh, in that whole sequence is when Dobby drops the uh, chandelier on Patrick's. <laughs> Just, 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 to, you know, you hear the squeaking of him releasing the thing and then you cut up to him. I, I just, I thought that was very effective. Agreed. But, and, and I love that. But like I said, you know, Dobby never meant to kill, only hurt or maim. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you just kill Wormtail or did you hurt or maim him? I don't understand. I don't know. It just doesn't mesh well for me on that part. I think we just have to get to the point where in your head canon, Wormtail does not die from that. And then I think you'll be okay. But I want him to die. I want him to die. Whoa. But you don't want him to die at Dobby's hand. I don't want him to die at Dobby's hands. Exactly. His 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 death in the book, and I know we shouldn't compare, but his death in the book was was righteous. I mean, it was it was a come up that he deserved. Exactly. And that, I think, okay, that hits it. He needed to get a come up and that he deserved, yeah. not just, hey, I just got knocked out or killed from behind so, by Dobby. Yeah. So the movie perspective, that character did not get any sort of resolution. He was a glorified cameo. He's knocked out and we never hear of him again. He should get his come up and. <clears throat> yeah. What's going on? Oh, we're well, snapping at the dog. Sorry. <laughs> She's whining. So and then okay so then um and then that's about it I mean I like okay I'm sorry go ahead oh no no it's okay I mean I like in the torture scene that it you actually follow the hair fall down from Bellatrix onto Hermione and she follows the trail I thought that was really well done I know that sounds weird but it's 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 again it's a nice setup for the next movie you know are you sure that's her hair? Yes, I'm sure that's her hair. Cause I saw it mm-hmm. <laughs> follow me when she was torturing me. She's got that mark on her arm, mud blood, which is, it's terrible because it's very reminiscent of yeah. other tattoos that people have had in the past that were put there against their will. At camps, at camps <laughs> in Germany. Oh, 
I, I honestly didn't make that connection. <laughs> I didn't want to see it. <laughs> that just that just brings it brings it to a whole nother level because what I connected it to was uh, what's her name uh, Umbridge making Harry write and having it burnt, having it cut into his hand when he did it. I will not tell lies. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what that's what it brought me back to. I, I didn't think of anything quite as dark as that is. I didn't think any of anything quite as dark as a uh, as a you know a death camp. Yeah, that's where I took it. Because that's okay. the sentence. No, I don't. I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. I just didn't make that connection. We've, Boy, we're that, that just fall to a whole new world. <laughs> just, you know, we thought this ended on a dark note, but oof. <laughs> we had no idea. <laughs> and then I, I, I have to say again, Dobby's death scene. It got me. I mean, I was bawling. Mm-hmm. Again, I feel like I have more of a connection because I've read the books, but still, he's just so small. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they did that really, really well, I thought. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, but they didn't end on that because then we had the one final scene of uh, Voldemort getting the wand, the Elder Wand. Yeah. Which, which I always forget about. Yeah. Well, because... Dobby's death is just so much more meaningful to you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know, we, but we do have that, which kind of brings us to the, you know, to the feeling of okay, now everything is stacked against us. How could we possibly win this? We just got, you know, a, a heroic character that we love just got killed, and our villain just got the all-powerful wand. See you in a year. Yeah. <laughs> so there, you know, there is that anticipation, and I think again, just to to belabor the point uh if we hadn't had the book and we didn't know how this was going to end i think that year of speculation would have been more exciting yeah yeah i can give you that i we talked about how um you know they split it into two movies there was things that they could have explained I think like that stupid mirror piece that Harry keeps looking at, you know, where did that come from? Why does that make any sense? Now they kind of explain it in the second movie, but not really. And like, how did Dobby know that they were there? You know, so if you're going to separate into two movies, then use that as a tool to explain things. <laughs> Especially if it's something that could use like, just a line of dialogue or yeah, not adding a lot to the runtime. Yeah, I again, I, I agree with almost everything you guys say. Uh, so we so we ended on the dark note, and then we end it with the question: Is it yours? <laughs> what do you guys think? I've been struggling with this one. I think it, yeah, for the directing, for the special effects, for the acting. Um, the pacing, yes, it's Jaws. It has its weaknesses, so it's a lower Jaws, but it's a well-constructed movie overall, even if it is part of a larger movie. Because it is captivating. It is well-directed, well-acted, and I, it entranced me. Yeah, I'll agree. I'm, I'm going to put mine at um, a very low Jaws 1 because... Overall, I do feel like it's successful. It really gets me uh, in the feels. <laughs> I feel like 
it's really beautifully shot the graphics still hold up the acting is amazing there's a lot of things happening but i didn't necessarily feel like it was too confusing i wish that they had used the time that they saved by separating it into two movies to explain some things or or flesh out a few things but everything that they did was perfectly done so or, or well done uh you know right from the books um, I'm very entertained by it, but it, it very much is a, a an incomplete movie. It's not a standalone movie. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick at a a very low Jaws one because it is entertaining and I do appreciate it. Okay, I'm gonna go come, come in at Jaws two, and I don't think we disagree really. Uh, I just think as a standalone movie, this you know just doesn't quite do it for me. I don't care for the way they manage to break it up totally uh you know i think it's almost required uh that you have to watch them back to back to get a full experience out of it so i can't give this a jaws based on its you know on its own however i do think it's all really well done and there's a lot of stuff going on here so i'm going to put it in at jaws too and uh and, and and work from there uh we need to rank it among the movies so far so, Dave, your ranking so far, at number one, you have Chamber of Secrets, number two, Order of the Phoenix, number three, Half-Blood Prince, number four, Sorcerer's Stone, number five, Goblet of Fire, and number six is Prisoner of Azkaban. Where do you slot this one in? I will put it just above Order of the Phoenix. Okay, so you so have it a, as your second part uh, right now. Third, I thought. Put it at uh, number three. Uh, well, you have Order of Phoenix as number two. You have half yeah, no, I realize, I realize it now. So you I got it below Order of Phoenix. Below Order of the Phoenix, yeah. So you're at, okay, gotcha. Because Order of the Phoenix managed to, to improve upon the book, which is hard. This yeah. one didn't quite do that, but it was successful in most of what it tried. Okay, Holly, you have Sorcerer's Stone, Order of the Phoenix, Prisoner of Azkaban, Half-Blood Prince, Goblet of Fire, Chamber of Secrets. I'm going to put this um, just ahead of Goblet of Fire. So so just between Half-Blood Prince and Goblet of Fire. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to put it just, uh, just ahead of Chamber of Secrets. I have, and I'm going to include this one in there. I have Prisoner of Azkaban, Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, Deathly Hallows Part 1, Chamber of Secrets, Sorcerer's Stone, Goblet of Fire. Hmm. So we do have three different sequences, uh, but that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that'll be it for this one. We're going to try and do Part 2 of the Deathly Hallows in our next episode. So hopefully our schedules will align and we'll be able to get that done. Uh, I want to thank Dave and Holly for coming on and indulging me once again. Well, we're always happy to. Thank you. Sorry I took over. No, thank you for, t- for taking <laughs> over. We, we appreciate your insight. And, I have a lot uh, of opinions on these. <laughs> good. That's why you're on these. You're on here, here to share opinions, not to, not to sit silent. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you next time with part two of The Deathly Hallows.
Severus. I was beginning to worry you had lost your way. Come, we've saved you a seat. You bring news, I trust? It will happen Saturday next at nightfall. I've heard differently, my lord. Dolish Theora has let slip that the Potter boy will not be moved until the 30th of this month, the day before he turns 17. This is a false trail. The Aura Office no longer plays any part in the protection of Harry Potter. Those closest to him believe we have infiltrated the Ministry. Well, they got that right then, haven't they? <laughs> what say you, Pius? One hears many things, my lord. Whether the truth is among them is not clear. <laughs> Spoken like a true politician. You will, I think, prove most useful, Pius. Where will he be taken, the boy? To a safe house. Most likely the home of someone in the order. I'm told it's been given every manner of protection possible. Once there, it will be impractical to attack him. <laughs> I'd like to volunteer myself for this task. I want to kill the boy. Wormtail! Have I not spoken to you about keeping our guest quiet? Yes, my lord. Right away, my lord. As inspiring as I find your bloodlust, Bellatrix, I must be the one to kill Harry Potter. But I face an unfortunate complication that my wand and Potter's share the same core. They are, in some ways, twins. We can wound, but not fatally harm one another. If I am to kill him, I must do it with another's wand. 